0: superhumanize accelerated evolution welcome back superhumans i have a truly special episode for you today those of you who have been listening to this show for a while know we're all about unlocking our full potential and part of superhumanizing is reconnecting with the profound wisdom of ancient healing practices Today, we're going to dive deep into adaptogens, the plants and mushrooms that have been used around the world for thousands of years that can help us regulate our system and adapt and respond to stressors, be they mental or physical. I believe the present time where so many of us are dealing with stress or chronic or infectious diseases is the perfect time to learn about and integrate adaptogens into our daily practice. And I have two leading experts on adaptogens joining us today. Tero Isokaupila is a best-selling author and the founder of Four Sigmatic, the eight-figure functional foods company that has become synonymous with making health delicious and easy. His roots are in Finland, where he grew up on his family's 13th generation farm, and he has a degree in chemistry, business, and a certificate in plant-based nutrition at Cornell University. Tero is also the author of Healing Mushrooms and... Santa Sold Shrooms, a children's book for adults about the magical origins of Santa Claus. Danielle Ryan-Broida is a registered herbalist of the American Herbalists Guild, Certified Holistic Nutritionist, and Head of Education and Innovation at Four Sigmatic. Prior to joining forces of Four Sigmatic, she received her BA in Environmental Studies and Philosophy from Whitman College. Danielle studied Ayurveda in India and became a certified yoga instructor on the banks of the Ganges River. She then worked with a naturopathic doctor in Indonesia, where she became a certified raw chef and detox coach. After several years in Asia, she landed in Boulder, Colorado, to formalize her education in holistic medicine, completing her graduate studies at the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism, where she presently is the instructor of mycology. Danielle also has a private practice, Danielle Ryan Wellness, where she works with hundreds of clients across the U.S., specializing in functional mushroom-based treatment for individuals with autoimmune conditions and chronic illnesses. Tara and Danielle co-authored the book Healing Adaptogens, the definitive guide to using super herbs and mushrooms for your body's restoration, defense, and performance. In this interview, Danielle and Tara share what an adaptogen is some of the world's most healing adaptogens and how to use them and how adaptogens found their way from traditional systems of medicine into modern times. If you want to boost your body's ability to perform, defend and restore, this episode is for you. Daryl, Danielle, welcome to the Superhumanized podcast. I am so thrilled to connect with you both today. Thank you for making time. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. I had the great joy of diving into your new book, Healing Adaptogens, and amongst other you dedicate the book to Dr. Nikolai Lazarev, who actually coined the term adaptogen. And for those in our audience who are not that familiar with what adaptogens are, I would like to dive into the history of adaptogens and also into the special way they function. So the first question I'd like to throw out to you both is, what are adaptogens?
1: Ladies first. Danielle, you want to cover that?
2: Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So as you mentioned, the, qu- the term is only about 70 years old, this word adaptogens. And it was coined by this Russian scientist, Dr. Nikolai Lazarov. And it comes from the Latin word to fit or to adjust. And so The spark notes is these are a group of super herbs and functional mushrooms. We cover 21 of them in our new book, but there's about 30 right now identified. And there may be more as time goes on that help our body adapt to different stressors. And we can get into the nitty gritty about there's really three key components that define a species as an adaptogen and really briefly I'll touch on them and then we can get into the deeper science of how they work, but all of them are non-toxic. This is really key. It means that there isn't a dose you take, which all of a sudden you are then pushed over an edge or into an overdose. And with this, they're more like foods. They're meant to be taken long-term daily. Many of them have been used more as tonics as opposed to a specific medicine for a short period of time for an acute need. So this non-toxic nature is true with all the adaptogens. Second to that, they're all normalizing. And so we have 11 systems in our body and these adaptogens are working not on one, but on multiple systems of the body to bring more balance and equilibrium into our system. And this third piece is that they're all non-specific which is where a lot of the magic comes from with adaptogens, but also where some of the confusion lies, because especially through a Western lens, we often think about taking a ingredient, whether it's pharmaceutical or natural, because we are looking for a specific action. We have a headache and we reach for something. We have a stomach ache, we reach for something. And the non specific nature of adaptogens means that every body that ingests that herb or mushroom will have a slightly different experience based on the state of their body. So, this might mean you may feel a little more energized, a little more relaxed. Your immune system might be more stimulated, or it might be suppressive to keep us in this adaptation, equilibrium, state of vitality. And there's many of them, right? They're all different and unique, but these three key things, the non-toxicity, the normalization, and the non-specificity are what tie them all together in this umbrella category of adaptogens.
1: Yeah, and that was a, such a great answer, just to add a couple of things. So obviously this evidence-based aspect of this adaptogen, so they're science-based, even though they've been used for thousands of years, any in indigenous cultures is a valuable fun marriage between the old and the new. So by having them being used generation after generation means they've been safe in a way that like generation after generation have validated their effects and elevated them into the sacred status. So the adaptogens of today tend to be the top herbs or fungi of each corner of the world so in the group of adaptogens there's one from each part of the world at different ecosystems from the rainforest to the tundra and to the top of the mountains to a scandinavian forest and then they also tend to be the best of the best in each kind of these large fungal and plant uh, families so they tend to be the most nutrient dense version of a family that otherwise has other medicinal purposes as well you don't have to sacrifice between the new and the old when you take adaptogens and the holistic and the western in a way
0: Outstanding, Tarot, And that was actually a question I also had specifically geared at those in the audience who may have not been in touch with these fantastic plants yet and who may put them into a realm of, oh, this is what people in the holistic health and wellness talk about, especially people in the audience who may be more geared towards the conventional, especially Western medicine. And a fact is that a lot of pharmaceuticals are actually based on these magnificent plants or also fungi if we we could just cite as an example something that's ubiquitous as penicillin to speak about fungi that and the question that i would like for you to answer is actually do you have an overview of what the current state of research and science is with regards to these, these amazing plants and also fungi that have been used for thousands of years. What is their place right now in our Western medical world?
1: I can answer that first. So to write this latest book, Danielle and I went through over a thousand research papers on to figure out where they stand from a science point of view. And there's Many studies we didn't get to, for example, turmeric alone has over 4,000 research papers. So we would have read 4,000 papers just on turmeric. So we try to find studies that are double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized studies, ideally on humans, but they have a little more weight, right? So there is plenty of research, and they're based on science. That being said... We are talking here about natural substances and natural substances cannot be patented. So for example, if you're a pharmaceutical company, your business model is based on R&D and finding something you can protect, call it a moat of some sort, but like you're trying to build intellectual property in quotation marks that you extract from nature. So for example, penicillin or whether those are all drugs, they expire eventually. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to own it and then have huge profits after owning it by producing it for a dollar and selling it for a $1,000. And with natural substances, that's not possible. Nobody can own nature and thank God for that. In the case of whole versions of these adaptogens, nobody can own them. Therefore, they cannot be used as a pharmaceutical because pharmaceuticals are not. That being said, there are many of them that are being derived and included in pharmaceuticals one of the more notable ones is turkey tail there is a polysaccharide derived drug used as a formal breast cancer drug in japan or cancer drug is a better way to say it there's a compound k polysaccharide crestin found there's another one called psp that, and th- these are then used in pharmaceuticals, but in their natural form, as Danielle and I recommend taking them in their most natural, holistic, safe form, they are not used as a drug because no drug company can own them. They belong to everyone. But that doesn't mean there isn't scientific backing about their health benefits. There's quite a bit. And that is not that common with natural products. There's many For example, amazing berries, I like to say that there is not that much research on blueberries. I feel like everybody universally agrees that blueberries are super healthy, but knowing how healthy they are and people universally agreeing that they're good for you, there isn't that much studies because there isn't a financial incentive to fund these expensive research papers on blueberries. So that's somewhat unfortunate, but luckily for adaptogens, they, for whatever reason, there's been enough funding to have these credible research papers on them.
0: Thank you for illuminating that for us, Taro. And I personally am on the same page as you and Danielle are adaptogens, and these natural compounds have been a part of my life and my healing journey for many years now. And I cannot recommend them highly enough whenever somebody asks me about what my routine is. I do often, though, encounter people who have just been mired in this model that, especially here in in the West, is superimposed on everybody, and people are just confused. And so, I like to give them. Kind of and connect the two worlds and show them that they actually also intersect. A lot of people then find it easier to open up to these fantastic healing compounds and modalities that the three of us are aware of, and that of course are your lives. You mentioned before a lot of these adaptogens have actually been used for thousands of years by indigenous cultures around the globe, depending where an actual plant originates from. Do you have any knowledge about how these indigenous cultures would have come to learn and uh, about these compounds and how they work with? I read a really fascinating book by uh, Jeremy Narby, The Cosmic Serpent. This gentleman actually went into the rainforests of the Amazon and, um, was in community with the indigenous people and healers there. And what they basically shared with him was that the plants actually communicated what they were about to him, which for him coming from the West first was completely foreign. And then he went through an entire journey of learning where he came to know, all right, (laughs) this is just part of how it is in the world and there are things that we just cannot grasp when we come in with a western mind but that being said do you know of any of the history specifically with indigenous cultures and how certain of
2: these plants came into the lives and into the healing of these types this is such a wonderful question and that's an incredible book one of my favorites i'm also recently reading the secret language of plants and this communication that we have. And it just is so fascinating. We think of them often as these like non-sentient beings and the communication is really deep and vast. And as an herbalist, this is such a big part of my work. I look at them as allies and as working through us. And this is really a indigenous way of thinking in a lot of ways where we're not actually using, speaking off of what Tara was saying, where pharmaceuticals use isolated compounds from these plants and we own them and use them. And the original knowledge and relationship was very different where I most think of our bodies as a conduit where the plant or the fungi medicine can actually reach a different state of basically being in the world by using our bodies as the conduit to have perhaps more love in the world, right? In the case of reishi or ganoderma lucidum, this heart medicine or cordyceps to bring about greater energy and performance in the world, right? We get to be almost that cord or that conduit, which is really interesting. And each one of the adaptogens has a, and other plant medicine as well, right? There are several thousand plants that are used in traditional cultures and have been for as long as we've been humans. We've relied on them for food, medicine, utility, And yeah, this relationship goes so deep. I'm like, we can choose each one and go through their story and the original relationship. And we do that in the book. We give a little bit of the original history. Some of the, some of the plants we can trace back several hundred years, some of them several thousand years. And the history and lineage might be older than that as well. It's more how well documented different cultures were. How did they write it down and record and preserve this knowledge through the generations but some of our original adaptogens, like reishi and holy basil or tulsi in Ayurveda, are some of the better examples of ingredients that have a really solid amount of documentation with original peoples. Yeah, Tara, what do you want to add here? Yeah, so there's a lot there, and
1: just like with anything else, there's every one of these have a story. And this book specifically, we try to cover the the lore. Of these plants, and some of them are super well documented. Be it the cordyceps with yaks, Sherpas observing yaks in high altitude—that's pretty well documented. Partly because the traditional Chinese medicine, and then also in India, Ayurveda, happen to be well documented. When we talk about Amazonian herbs, there's a lot less research. It's a lot more—it's like word of mouth. And I guess as a middle ground, like Scandinavian indigenous cultures, like the S- Sami. It's like some of that was destroyed by, frankly, Christianity. And a lot of those documents were destroyed. So even if they existed, they might not exist today because they were burned. So it's a hard one. And we try to get our best knowledge and include some of these ancient stories, but also acknowledging that we don't have like solid proof of it. But what I would assume it's just talking from my personal experience. When I leave the city and I go to our farm, And I put my phone away and I just sit there at the pier at the lake and put my feet in the in nature. I drink spring water. We only have spring water. I try to eat fresh herbs and wild. And suddenly my senses change. So just in a week. So let alone think about 30 years living in the woods. Our senses adjust to whatever it is. And right now we're in this modern dopamine focused Sensory state. And then when you go to nature and you spend extended time periods, for me, it takes a few weeks to a few days to a week. And often in by week three, I have completely different like perception. What are your senses? What are you noticing about animal behavior, nature behavior, plant behavior, fungal behavior, and how much of an intimate relationship you build with them? And what are the observations you can get? It's almost impossible to comprehend because we are all pretty much more or less somewhat raised in a modern setting, that what of those people who just lived in nature generation after generation were observing about the world around them. But I do like that question. it is makes you think. And we can go into specific stories we've heard from each one of these, but I think it comes down to a lot of sensory related yes. perception that is completely different than our current paradigm living in a modern world.
0: Absolutely. I agree with you, Taro. I find that we are very cut off from nature, most of us, especially living in urban environments. And once you actually calm your nervous system down by being in nature. I myself notice that there are certain senses, certain sensory impressions, so to speak, that open up and that I get information from my surroundings that I can't quite explain where they come from. there's just a knowingness and I know this is just a t- tiny taste because I am an urbanite, I once in a while am able to escape into nature. So this is just a tiny taste of the capacity that I think is actually inherent in us as human beings and to rebuild this connection, even if we can't immerse ourselves in nature, at least by consuming and living with some of these fantastic plant compounds, these adaptogens can help recalibrate us. I would like to share with the audience, both of you, Danielle and Tara, actually have really fascinating backgrounds, the history, your life history that brought you to do what you're doing. And Tara, for example, because you were just sharing about your experience going into nature, you grew up in Finland on a farm your family has owned since 1619. Can you tell us a bit about these formative years and how this experience informed your life? Also your life as an entrepreneur who built an aid for your business out of Four Sigmatic. Actually, as a
1: bridge to what you just said about like you feeling that we're not connected with nature it does not remind me of a book from the 1600s that where the author was arguing how people in the 1600s were not connected to nature as much anymore so i feel like this com- complaint about us not being connected to nature existed before industrial revolution when we were still living in like villages and had primitive tools but we were still living in communities and farming versus living purely as a forager or hunter gatherer. But anyway, that was a sidetrack to my history. So I grew up in Finland, a few hours north from Helsinki by car and a farm that has been with our family, like you said, for many generations. I think what reflecting back on my formative years, as you called it, I think a couple of things come to mind. First of all, it didn't feel that different. It's mm-hmm. funny is if you would talk to Someone even more primitive, somebody in Papua New Guinea or someone living in a tribe, that is their reality. So as a child, I think to a pretty far into my teens, maybe in late teens, early 20s, you've come to realize that maybe your reality is not the reality for others or even reality to yourself. But as a child, you don't really know what's normal and what's not normal. You just live what you live. And In our case, it was spring water and berries, and it was not labeled healthy. That's, I think, a key important satisfaction differentiation is obviously through my mom who taught physiology and anatomy, I learned about health and human body early on. But a lot of things we did were not labeled as healthy. They were just things you did, be it a sauna and a cold plunge and berries and mushrooms. They were just mm-hmm. things you did. A lot of people in the countryside, even living in these extreme kind of settings, also live unhealthy. So it's also good to know that not everything is perfect, part, mostly for economic reasons. Like we were very poor. My father took on as the 12th generation to farm during a huge economic recession and was in massively in debt. So in a lot of cases, you also do cut corners and in a farm you need a lot of easy calories. So it's not like you're always eating like someone in Los Angeles eating at the Erewhon hot bar is eating a lot cleaner than farmers yes farmers are more connected to nature maybe they have more earthing more better light exposure better connection with forest and land and elements but in many ways you also eat a lot of cheap calories and in our case it was like rock processed rye bread i don't know how much that still has often gluten in it so it's not perfect food but it was like dark rye bread was the thing you ate every day two three days times a day and i think So what I would get out of it is even if you grew up in an extreme environment of anything, you probably don't realize that it's extreme until later. And then secondly, a lot of people have this romantic view of growing up in a farm and drinking spring water and eating berries, but it's a lot of hard work and it's not perfect. And a lot of people, farmers are not healthy, mostly because they're economically in a place where they... in in certain ways can live healthy because of the farm, but in other ways, they don't have the luxury to take care of their bodies. And a lot of farmers have back pain and cardiac things and (laughs) this and that. It's not perfect. And that's, I think, often lost in this romantic view of like how it is to live in a farm and eat wild food all day long.
0: Taro, thank you so much for that perspective. I think these are really important insights you just share. And it's so easy, of course, To romanticize something from the outside when you have actually not lived that experience. That being said, especially looking at your background, and you also shared your family history and of not being wealthy, how did you inherently carry this entrepreneurial mindset? Or was it something that was sparked at a certain moment? Because again, I just mentioned it, you built an incredible brand with Four Sigmatic that As very successful internationally and not only a brand of products, but actually a lifestyle, including your books and many other things you do. So how did this, how did you actually become the entrepreneur you are today? Yeah, I, knew
1: early on that I would want to have my own company for a few reasons, partly because Pride was probably like unhirable in many ways. <laughs> so it's like, if you didn't bet on yourself, who else would hire you? Secondly, I've always felt like working hard was like part of our DNA. At the farm, you work really hard and like you work insane hours. And I saw not just with our family, but also other people around us that a lot of people would work hard their whole life and end up with nothing. So it felt like entrepreneurship in one way or form was like given to me and it was a non-negotiable. In what way would come to life is very surprising. And if you would ask me in my 20s, if early 20s, if I would have international mushroom business, I probably would have said, probably not. Especially because I, at that point, I had a chance to have a mushroom business. Me and a friend of mine won this innovation award for this mushroom discovery and the government and the was willing to fund it basically like to get us going. And I said no to it because I didn't feel like I was passionate about culinary mushrooms at that point. But yeah, that, but the idea of being an entrepreneur, I think came from early on from being a, a difficult child, unhirable and willing to work hard. And at the same time, seeing that just working hard at the farm will probably end up you and, and miserable at the end, even though there's a lot of beautiful thing in
0: it. I think that's quite remarkable and speaks to your capacity to think and function outside of the box. Because for so many of us, once we are born into and grow up into a certain paradigm, it's very hard to see any possibilities and any potential outside of that. And we just stick to what we know, which is also something our brain likes to do because what we know is, quote, safe and will facilitate our survival, whereas any change is a potential threat. So kudos to you. That is truly inspiring, Tarot. And uh, you also have a really intriguing background. You're an herbalist. You are also an educator for herbs. You actually also are a certified yoga teacher and taught yoga at the Ganges River. How did your journey into this life and lifestyle and healing and teaching begin?
2: Yeah, it was very organic as well and opposite of tarot in a lot of ways and very similar in terms of the metaphors and energetic path. But I grew up in Southern California where I was surrounded by a lot of wealth and opportunity and uh, I noticed the stature of people didn't protect them from illness or from depression and I was really noticing a disconnection from source from the earth from a really early age so I wanted to be on a farm, I'm like in Santa Barbara and composting and building gardens. And I was, I really felt like I I didn't belong in that world. And Mm -hmm. it brought me to travel from a really early age. I went as soon as I was able, when I was 15, I saved up and went on a trip to Southeast Asia to do service work. I went to Thailand and fell in love with the culture and felt like I was connected to real people that were using their time and energy every day to grow food and to fetch water and to build houses and just felt so much more real and authentic than anything I'd ever experienced. And so that, that kind of connection to the earth was really my mission all along. And anyways, lots of different chapters. I lived in permaculture communities and built large-scale industrial composting systems and tried all these things, probably pretty unhirable as Tara was the theme. And I came from a family of entrepreneurs. So I was almost positioned to say, Hey, you have to be an entrepreneur too. And never thought that I would join forces with a brand. So mm-hmm. it's really funny, these ways that we ebb and flow and dance, but Anyways, after I finished my undergrad, I studied environmental studies and philosophy. So really this thread of how can we connect to the land, reading a lot of Thoreau and Emerson and these amazing teachers. And anyways, I moved to Southeast Asia. The day that I graduated, I left all of my belongings behind. I had one backpack and moved to go work for the company that I had gone as a student when I was 15 to do this service work. So I went out there and lived there for three years with hill tribe villagers. And we did all different service work around water and education. And that's where I fell in love with herbal medicine. And we would forage and go get fiddlehead ferns and all different mushrooms. And I actually did mushroom hunting for my very first time in India with a host mama that I was living with and working with. And I just wondered why this medicine and this philosophy wasn't more prevalent in the Western world. And so I decided to come back and I went to grad school for herbal medicine and opened a private practice and started focusing on functional mushroom based treatment based on the individuals that were coming to my practice, a lot of autoimmunity and chronic illness and people that had tried many different Western modalities and said, Hey, I'm still sick. Nothing's working. You're my last resort. And these mushrooms were so powerful in my clients' bodies. And I was shocked that they weren't in grocery shelves and they weren't a bigger part of our reality and our consciousness. And Four Sigmatic was one of the few brands that existed at the time that was offering the ingredients in the ancient way, in the way that our herbal ancestors have been using them and extracting them and tasting them for thousands of years. So about five years ago, I joined forces with tarot, and it's the story ever since.
0: Wonderful. And as other consumers such as myself of these amazing products can testify, I thank you both for doing what you're doing and also for bringing much, much greater and much needed awareness to these beautiful compounds. So on the one side, it's really important that we learn about these plants, about these fungi. It's also really important that we learn which body type, which temperament or dosha we have. And especially you, Danielle, your profound wisdom is also I'm guessing, very steeped in the Ayurvedic traditions. I myself spent part of my childhood in New Delhi, in India, and ever since yoga and also certain herbs and spices have been a big part of my life, and it's been transformative. So what would you advise to people who are at the beginning of this journey? Why is it so important that we learn about our body type? And what are the first steps we can take to get more acquainted with how we individually function?
2: I love this question so much, and it's not just Ayurveda, it's many traditional systems of folk medicine, whether TCM or Russian folk medicine or indigenous folk medicine in the States, really, it was integral to prescribing different herbs or fungi that the individual body type was assessed. And these are based on the elements. So in Ayurveda, we have these three doshas and traditional Chinese medicine. There's four temperaments in the Western vitalist herbalism that i was trained in there are four constitutions we call them and they all have the essential elements of being on the scale of moist to dry and warm to cold and those are defined in different ways and different terminologies based on where you are but each of us are bio individual like we each have a unique profile that we come to the world in and that where we're living and our lifestyle practices what we're eating This can change our constitution. So, if you live at sea level, you may naturally have a more moist temperament or constitution. If you live at high elevation in the mountains, you'll be more dry. And similarly, all of our plant and fungal species also have a constitution, right? Some plants are very moist, think of aloe vera, versus some plants are much more dry, like our cayenne or gingers or turmeric. And so, it's a way of thinking about matchmaking your body to the ingredients that you're using to heal or to support your system, as opposed to looking at a ingredient for the benefits it might offer. So instead of saying, oh, this is good for digestion, I'm going to take it regardless of my body type. We can, it really opens up the whole arena of what is available to us where we say, okay, I'm looking for an herb for digestion, for example, and I can choose based on the ingredient that will mix or that will synergize best with your body type. And so adaptogens are are a really safe place to start. It was really important to both of us to include this into the book because this is such a traditional way of using them. But adaptogens, many of them are tridoshic, which means like Tulsi or holy basil is a great example, meaning they're safe for any body type. And the way that these adaptogens work is more of a way of synergizing with the body. So it's a really unique example where, regardless of where you are or how familiar you are with your constitution, it's a pretty safe, like low consequence beginning point to start with many of these adaptogens. However, we do include a chart in the book, and I could talk about this all day of really understanding your body type, because if you then want to choose an adaptogen for, let's say immune support, there are many you can choose from, and it's really about playing and getting more in touch with your body, which is what I believe we're doing with all of this and with all of Four Sigmatic and the ingredients themselves, or how can we listen to our bodies more and the messages that our bodies are giving us. And by choosing different ingredients and experimenting and playing, we begin to become familiar with how these work in our body, how our bodies are shifting. And we have options and plethora of what which ones we can choose that synergize both best with our body types at different periods of our life and seasons as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that you both put such a focus on safety. I personally know quite a few people in my circle of friends are dealing with pretty severe health challenges, and they're afraid to try new things. And so adaptogens are a really great way to start the healing journey if you're seeking more natural remedies. And in your book, you, as you mentioned, you talk about 21 essential adaptogens, and you also put them in different categories. Can you tell us a little more about what these categories are and maybe name one of each?
1: Yeah, I can set the stage and maybe Danielle can come and pick one of each one to highlight. But the challenge and the opportunity with adaptogens is the same, and is that they're very complex. They're like the supercomputers in a way assisting our bodily functions. And these systems are already complex themselves. And then these adaptogens are complex. Why I say it's the challenge is that it's very hard to explain to anyone, let alone busy Western people, how do they work and what are they for? Because at the end of the day, they have this natural gas and break effect, as we like to call it. So they have things that can include thing, compounds that can increase blood circulation, making them great for energy and kind of morning, afternoon, pre-workout productivity. But they often also have these compounds that help Balance our endocrine system and stress response, making them ideal for the evening, right? So, a lot of people want prescriptive guidance, but at the same time, these are not prescriptive things. Mm-hmm. So, for the book, we approach it differently. We wanted to meet the reader halfway and give prescriptive information not honoring their true potential, right? So we looked at the situation through the lens of stress Mm because the the simple definition of adaptogens is that there are these natural compounds that help you combat stress, right? That's the simple way of describing them. So you can split your interaction with stress into three phases, the phase of preparing for stress, which is what we call the defend, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: then you perform under stress, and then you finally restore from stress. So we try to put these 21 adaptogens, would I most take them to prepare me for stress? Would I most take them during stress? Would I most take them to recover and restore from stress? And with that kind of also helped us, guide us through the body systems because when you're preparing yourself to stress, you wanna focus on gut health, immunity, skin, and skin is tied to immunity, by the way, it's not just aesthetic. And then if you're under stress, you're mostly focused on physical and mental performance. And then if you're trying to restore, you're trying to think about recovery and mood, but also longevity, and with the wear and tear, so to say. So that kind of put us into three phases. And each phase has two kind of subgroups. So there's six combined two in each three of the phases. So I don't know if Daniel, you want to pick some of your favorites for each one.
2: The favorites change every day, but that was a great way of explaining how we're yeah exactly trying to meet readers where they're at. There's this thousand year old history. And then the way that we view things is no, I'm looking for something for my immune system or for my skin or to help me sleep. So we had to put those vague categories in with the Caveat that there's multiple other benefits that each of these adaptogens may deliver based on your body. But within the prepare category, I'll call out one amazing ingredient, which is chaga and notice mm-hmm. obliquus. It's a functional mushroom that has a deep lineage in Scandinavian culture where Taro's from, and it's among the most antioxidant rich foods on the planet. So we talk about this combination of gut health, of immune health, of skin. Antioxidants are a really great way to think about how those are all interacting. And the the huge load of antioxidants is supporting all three of these systems simultaneously. Chaga has a really incredible history used as a coffee alternative or substitute. It has this great Bitter, earthy, dark flavor. It also contains melanin. So amazing for skin health. I used it in private practice and formulations for a lot of skin formulas from the inside out. So really wonderful. Prepare. So rather than I'm in an acute stress situation as a long term, almost preventative way to support your gut health and these critical kind of root based systems of our body before we necessarily need to think about them. So as this daily tonic. In the perform category. We broke this into brain and body. So when we think of performance, you can think of cognitive health or more of the physical endurance. So I'll briefly call out two functional mushrooms here, then maybe pull in a plant for the third category. But with the brain and the think component in performance, when you're under that acute stress, we often call on lion's mane. Is a very popular functional mushroom because of the nootropic activity that it delivers it has a really unique ability to these two compounds within it can actually cross our blood brain barrier and activate what's called nerve growth factor ngf so really it's has a benefit to nerves throughout the body but specifically within the brain And I think of it more like a light bulb activating our body's ability to connect neurons and we experience focus and support with memory. In the performance category, Taro briefly touched on cordyceps earlier, this really wild little fungus that grows off of insects high in the Himalayan mountains. And uh, when we think about where these ingredients come from, it gives us a lot of information about what they might do and benefit to our systems and so i think about cordyceps growing above 14,000 feet elevation in the himalayas where the air is really thin and sherpas or mountain climbers would use these mushrooms to support their lung capacity it can increase vo2 max now it's been touted as an athlete mushroom right both pre-workout and post-workout help oxygenating the system without stimulating right? So you're not stimulating, there's no caffeine or direct stimulant that then would result in a downfall or a need for deep relaxation and restoration. You're oxygenating your system, giving you a sense of greater endurance, which lasts for, it's really interesting. You can take it. And it's one of our few adaptions that you can feel within 15, 20 minutes of ingesting. So really for that acute stress, it's one of the original adaptogens in the fungi category for stress and performance. And then in restore, these are my favorite adaptogens. So it's hard to choose one of them, but in the mushroom sense, we have reishi, a sister, I think of to reishi is holy basil or Tulsi, which is deeply valued in Ayurveda and traditional Indian medicine. A home is thought to be incomplete if they don't have Tulsi growing on the altar. It's part of the basil family. So it has some of those benefits to respiratory system, to digestion. It's also tridoshic, so safe for all body types to begin using with. And it's really wonderful to, when we think about balance and giving our bodies the ability to relax without sedating. So oftentimes when we think about restoration, there's herbs that are putting us to sleep, right? We have hops and passion flower and valeriana, and and tulsi works really differently, where you can take it throughout the day, right, to relax the system, so you can combat the stressors that come and more efficiently and effectively deal with them without being thrown on this roller coaster of stress. So it gives us this almost ease to handle whatever comes our way without without sedating us in any way. It's like taking that edge off.
0: Outstanding, Danielle. Thank you for calling uh, Tulsi to my attention again. I love reishi. I take it multiple times a week. I had, uh, yeah, I have not taken Tulsi in quite a while. So yeah, it's a magnificent herb. So thank you. Especially nowadays, so many people are so stressed. These last two and a half years have been very heavy for so many for us. And at the same time, we need to keep functioning. We do not wish to sedate ourselves, right? So this is a fantastic possibility to help yourself feel better and function better. Uh, With regards to adaptogens, and I mean, any plant remedies, actually, but let's talk about adaptogens. There's a recent study that showed, I think it was 74 or 75% of the United States supplements that say they contain reishi or reishi supplements don't contain any reishi what do we need to watch out when we're buying adaptogens or plant medicines
1: yeah that's a real issue and that's just with adaptogens but all supplements and all food is am i getting what i think i'm getting and i often hear people com- Plain or comment fairly is, Hey, I have no clue on what am I getting? Mm
0: -hmm. And like,
1: how would I even know if this is good? And in a way I have mixed feelings about this. So I, I hear you, I'm a new parent. We have two young kids. Like I can see how you get busy at the same time. That is the price we pay when we disconnected ourselves from nature. Like we don't know it's like the bread no longer comes from our neighbor it's like the milk doesn't come from our barn so because of that like we we get convenience and efficiency when living in a city but we have comes with things that we don't have and we have to therefore invest some of that time that we saved to getting to know what we get so what can you do as a consumer Daniel and I like to say that it's better if you learn how to fish than give you get the fish and you can use a carrot example as a vegan version of that it's better to learn how to farm carrots than receive a carrot and that will mean is like we could tell you brands that we found to be good and products beyond four sigmatic but it's better if you learn some of these tricks Mm -hmm. how you get scammed and or how to recognize what i would say first of all is and in the book we go deep but you need to know what you're getting is what they say And while you can't promise that I would say organic certification is still a good sign. There's tons of issues with organic farming and organic certification. And I could talk for hours upon that, but the fact that the brand has taken the time to pay the extra fee and it's not that much. So no brand that like says, oh, we're better than organic, but we don't have the label. They're probably lying because why would they pay the extra for the ingredients and then not pay a couple hundred bucks for the certificate? So organic certificate does tell something about intention, and there's some rigor behind it. The other thing I would say with most of these adaptogens is extraction or bioavailability. And if there's no mention of dosing, or bioavailability in the form of extraction or other synergies, it's probably not bad. So if they're not transparent about the form, is it a fruit a root? Is it how many milligrams has it been extracted, then the probability that it's not bioavailable and you're not going to reap the benefits. I think those are the two things I would watch out for. We have a whole five-step shopping guide process in the book, but I would say is, is it organic? And then do they transparently say the dosing of milligrams and the form of it I would say the third one, which is a little more intuitive is try eating it without anything. So if you buy a capsule, try opening the capsule in your mouth. And what you need to be looking for is somewhat bitter or strong flavors. If you get mild rice tasting flavors or unflavored taste, it probably, that means it's not the thing. So if you buy a Rishi capsule, then open it in your mouth. And if it's not super bitter you're probably not getting the benefits because both the polysaccharides and tritrepenes and these active compounds in Reishi are bitter. So if you're not getting those bitter flavors, you're probably also not getting the benefits that you're trying to get. So that would be my third one. It's a little esoteric and requires a little bit of self-education on flavor, but it's a fun little journey to start tasting the food you get.
0: Mm, And that's excellent advice, Taro. Thank you so much. And something I'd like to add to that is, that oftentimes the healing process actually starts in the mouth and via our taste buds, certain processes in the body get activated. And specifically with regards to bitter taste, a lot of, let's talk about a traditional Chinese medicine, a lot of the tinctures and formulas are bitter and left bitter tasting because that is part of the healing. And especially our modern times, the bitter flavor has pretty much been pushed out of what we consume, the foods that we consume, it's very rare that we consume bitter things. Of course, there's also toxic, poisonous plants that are bitter, and it's a warning sign. However, there's a lot of plants and fungi that are bitter that are actually beneficial to us. So I for example, try when I can. Capsules, of course, are so practical. They're fantastic, especially when traveling. But I do try to either mix the powders into a smoothie or a superfood coffee, or I try to take tinctures from brands that are really high integrity and try to give my body the opportunity to experience this, the healing, the optimization from start with getting the flavor in your mouth to end as it assimilates the actives via digestion.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. You're spot on. And we've definitely removed a lot of flavors from our diet and all flavors, not just the bitters, but spices. I can't encourage you to enough to consume all these flavors and and embrace them. And some people say, I don't like bitters. They taste bad. You once you start taking them, you'll start craving them. So a couple of examples I personally often experience is in the spring, you start pounding dandelion. And I have to say that even with my experienced palate, the first few days are not my favorite. But then, like on few days in, your body's just, oh, I need a little bit of that. It's like telling you to embrace the medicine. The other one is out of these adaptogens, I recently started taking fresh Cisandra berries again extracted but like super fresh american grown shisandra and i put it in water and every now and then every maybe not every day but almost every day i'm like oh i'm craving for that cup of shisandra Mm -hmm. Uh, and i've had that pretty much with every one of these adaptogens but it's the one i'm having right now is maybe as a new parent again energy or something like that but like i crave that shisandra and it's i have to say that once you take the real deal it's shisandra has a like. Quite a pungent, it has all the five flavors, but it definitely has a little quite a pungent aftertaste.
0: Oh, yes. And I'm a huge fan of Shizandra. one of my favorite and really simple recipes is to actually mix it ratio one to one with goji berries. And I bring them to a boil in water, then let it simmer for about 20 minutes, let it cool. And then then I drink this tea, this concoction, and it actually tastes very nice. The mixture of the shizandra with the Goji, it gives a, a tart, bitter, sweetish, really pleasant taste, and that's something I found to be amazing for skin health, eye health, immunity, and it's a fun, easy way to take these wonderful plants into your system. And thank you for mentioning Chisandrotero. I actually want to ask you both, all you two, what is your current personal routine i know for myself the that the routine always changes depending on the time of the month on the time of the year whatever my my entire system may need but what adaptogens do you both take on a very regular maybe even daily basis
2: great question and i will preface For anyone listening, don't take what tarot and I are using and then adopt that to your life because you're your own being. So it's really about listening to your body. And this changes, right? I'm constantly, this morning I had Shazandra After the sauna, first thing. And that's really unique to me. Usually I have something else. So, really, it changes by day. We have to be intuitive about everything we're putting in our body. But Mm -hmm. I will say I start my day with adaptogens consistently, regardless of uh, different ones that ebb and flow. I try to be consistent about one at a time for a couple of weeks and then take a break, tune in with my body and readjust. So, let's say in the past month, I went through about two weeks of cacao every morning and is one of my favorite things to get a really beautiful, big block of cacao and put it in a blender with hot water and lots of different spices. So I like to do cinnamon and cardamom and a little bit of like real coconut milk straight from a can or homemade almond milk or something that isn't processed in any way. So you can get that full experience of the cacao other mornings. The weather's changing and I'll crave something different. For example, schizandra I'm going to do for a few weeks. And then I typically end my evening as well with an adaptogen or an herbal tea that has adaptogens built into it. So typically reishi is my go-to evening routine. Tulsi will alternate in there. We make a really beautiful elixir that has both, both reishi and Tulsi in it as well as mint and rosehip. So I do that most evenings before bed, but typically it's the tail end. What am I already, when I'm in the kitchen, I'm either starting my day or ending my day. It's all about building these into habits so that you remember to take them and it's easy and consistent for you. If you have a morning coffee routine, many of us do, that's a great way to add an adaptogen in every day and experiment, listen to your own body, start with something that might be calling you. The book's a really great example or a great guide to say, oh yeah, this feels like something I want to start with build that in for a couple of weeks, take a day or two off and then see what your body's craving next and continue to listen to that. But I guess for me lately, cacao, Shazandra, reishi and tulsi are my big four of the month.
0: Beautiful. Thank you for sharing, Danielle. How about you, Taro?
1: Our second son, we just had a, was born four weeks ago. So just before this moment, I've been consciously over caffeinating. So the last four weeks, I've been breaking a lot of my rules, you mentioned about one sedatives, but once you get further in your herbalist journey, sedatives and stimulants can be really fun, but they're just really dangerous if you overuse them. But in small dosages, they're fun to play with. So when we were having, we did a home birth. So we are like, I'm in the zone. So I'm definitely going hard on cordyceps. Panax ginseng were examples like I was pretty heavy besides the caffeine consuming those every day I would take Rishi Ashwakanda, chaga grab my bases covered but like it was very heavy cordyceps ginseng and now I just a couple days ago I was like hey this is not trending well so I started my normal weaning off and I start by doing half calf so I do half calf half decaf half normal calf with ashwakanda and tulsi so it's starting to rebuild, lower the caffeine amount, rebuild your adrenals. And then I'm going to switch to coffee. I think Danielle just inspired me. Maybe I'll do a week or two of cacao because you get just a little bit of that bromine, but it's a completely different experience than coffee. It's much more feminine and open and aware, whereas coffee is blinders on. Let's go. So I think those I do, but I take Force psychomatic has a plant-based protein that I take every day after workout. It has five of the mushrooms a heavy dose and then two of the adaptogens so i get that kind of on a regular daily basis but what i add separately and like i said the shisandra in the afternoon has been something i've been craving pretty regularly and the two that i want to get into later maybe with the cacao is turmeric and mucuna
0: Mm. i just
1: kind of love those they're fun playful Things, but I feel like I've been in too much of a go-go mood right now to get into them as actively. But oh. they will come next.
0: Excellent. And I can relate to that, Taro. I also go in spurts with the coffee, and even two cups is a lot for me. I have uh, it triggers anxiety for me if I don't have a physical or mental outlet to just let that energy flow out again. A little hack that I have when I just do crave coffee, but I don't want to get this tight, anxious blinders is take a little bit of L-theanine with it. And that takes off the edge. I love Makuna. Makuna is such a wonderful one um, to take to also... Make us feel good to give us a, yeah, it's just, it takes the edge off in a different sense, especially for, I find it very helpful for emotional well being. The body processes it into dopamine. So it uh, can be very effective during emotionally stressful times as well. And I'm with you. I'm getting inspired here with the, I'm going to look into cacao in the next few weeks as well. I love what you said about the feminine energy. There's something else I wanted to ask you. I love the, I already mentioned it at the beginning of this conversation, when we started talking about adaptogens, the dedication of your book, it's dedicated to Pachamama and of course, Dr. Nikolai Lazarev and to intergalactic spores. So spores apparently can travel through space and they were here long before any other life form. Are mushrooms an alien life form?
1: Yeah, there's a lot there. And I think there's a whole podcast or five buried to that. So if you're interested in this, I don't think we have the time to dive deep. But panspermia is it's partly what it's is it, as, it, as that why we added in the book, it actually has few meanings, including a poem that Danielle and I received from a what we perceive to be a homeless person in Venice Beach, California, one day by donating him our food. He wrote as a poem, and it, it, without knowing that we work with mushrooms, it was around the intergalactic the spore galore. But that kind of relates to panspermia. So if you're interested in exploring that, but the, the fungi in their seed, quote unquote, air quotation mark seed form of fungi is called a spore, and it's an extremophile. It can survive in, in, um, Extreme conditions from the Antarctica to every level of our atmosphere. So they surely are in space. Are they an alien? There's a lot there. First of all, starting with what is an alien? The definition of an alien, I think, is an is a one-hour conversation at minimum. But you can't really get to it. So if you think of it from a pop culture point of view, the answer is probably a no. But if you throw it on your horizon on what an alien potentially could be, a life form that didn't originate in Earth then the answer is probably a maybe. So I think there's a fun thing there. I do have to, one thing that came to me as you were talking about your experiences about caffeine, it gives you jitters. There's one thing that I haven't thought about in a few years that I think more people should explore. And that's it, this, a simple thing of a yin and yang. My wife was just saying is that everything from the 90s is coming back from style wise. And apparently I didn't know, but in the US, they used to have these, yin yang signs and the 90s and they're coming back and i was like that's a beautiful symbol and for the coffee what i what it brings to me is coffee's i think honestly the best when you're exposed in nature so it's almost the yin and the yang when you're surrounded by i'm in the forest with nobody there except the moose a mile away or something like and then coffee and the the kind of very masculine task driven energy is balanced by the harmony and peacefulness of nature. So to me, if I if you go to New York City and you're in a busy work trip, that's probably not the best time to overcaffeinate yourself because you're so stimulated by your environment. That would be the time to seek the most grounding ever things you can take. The other thing I find funny is airports, and sorry for the RAN, airports you go and there's no rules. Like you go at 6 a.m. and people are drinking beer or like they're pounding just like whatever fat food. And to me is like, that's the time when you should double down on health. Mm -hmm. It's almost like at home, you can dabble in unhealthy habits occasionally. And you'll probably be fine because you're in the bacteria and environment that is less stressful. But if you go on an airplane or travel by whatever means, that's probably when you like triple your vitamin C content. And you like, you got to lean into some anything, you know, and take five times more of the herbs you love and just compound it because you're consuming, you're facing a lot of stressors externally, but you're also consuming a lot of nutrients, including like magnesium, B vitamins, the amount that you normally need is elevated quite a bit when you are traveling. And I don't think people acknowledge that. So it's a little counterintuitive. So Observe your environment, be it you're in a forest or you're traveling or you're busy and almost do the opposite of what you are. And you'll probably be a lot better. If you're in the forest, like you don't need to do extreme holotropic breath work. You can just goof around. But when you are in a city, you're probably starting the day with strong breath work will probably keep you more in check.
0: That's beautiful advice, Taro. Thank you. Those are great things to... Integrate in our practices. And with that, I'd love to button up this beautiful conversation with you two with a question I ask all of my guests. And that is about the practices in their lives that have elevated their body, their mind, their spirit in any way or form. Of course, adaptogens are a big part of both of your practices, but maybe there's something else you'd like to add and share with our audience.
2: Sure. I'll share. This has been a theme braided throughout our conversation, but regardless of where you are in the world, practicing grounding and what that means or how I explain it is taking your shoes off and actually connecting to the earth for a matter of minutes. And you can do it for even shorter if you bring a lot of mindful, conscious intent to it. But this is one of the most powerful ways I and with my one-year-old nephew often, and as soon as he's with the negative ions of the earth, it's like, no matter what tantrum he's in, it will auto- automatically dissipate. And I feel a similar way. If there's a lot of stress going on, um, to really take my shoes off and find any little patch of earth and ground, this is, if you can do it. Yeah. time of day, regardless of where you are, ideally it's not on cement, but it's actually on maybe some grass or some sand or whatever earth you can find. And just being present and remembering our place, grounding, feeling the weight. I often lead meditations around this where we can really envision that our weight is being held with the gravity and the gravity is coming back up to meet us and being held by the earth. And it helps to remind us that every breath we take, every in every sip of water and bite of food that we have is dependent on the health of our mother of this ecosystem of pachamama which is that dedication in the book so grounding every day if you can a few times a week and just be open to what you experience when that happens
1: yeah i just recently came across something i learned 20 years ago but i've completely spaced out which highlights the importance of repeating and relearning many things but it's around stress and managing stress and i believe it originates from american native americans Where if you're like unhappy the question was when was the last time you sang and danced so when was if you're unhappy if you're stressed if something's going on in your life asking yourself or your loved one is like when was the last time you danced or when was the last time you sang and prescribing though more of those and i came to me with my Older son, who was a toddler, started his, quote, terrible twos. And he has a lot of big feelings. And when he gets mad, there's really nothing to say. He doesn't really speak much yet. So we started dancing every day. And at least it's a short experiment, but he gets really happy. We put music on in the morning when he's grumpy and we dance. And I think it's something that's free and accessible to all of us and something that is, yeah, we're not doing enough.
0: Oh, that's wonderful, tarot, And it also makes so much sense when we have certain emotions that are stuck in a certain place in our bodies to just move, to move energy through ourselves. And if you look at animals, my little dog, Teddy, when he's stressed, he just shakes himself from the tip of his little ears, to the tip of his little tail, and boom, the stress is gone.
1: <laughs> totally.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing of your
2: wisdom danielle and taro for people who would like to connect with you both where can they do you can find our book at healingadaptogens.com if you want to learn more about that first and foremost or you can find taro and i at four sigmatic so that's foursigmatic.com or at four sigmatic on all social channels you can find us individually myself at Danielle Ryan Broida or tarot at I am tarot on social.
0: Excellent. Thank you both so much for spending time with us today. I'm deeply grateful, much love to you and wishing you both a fantastic rest of your day. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.